0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website www.thcity.sg. I want to speak to you about something that's really, really close to my heart, and I'm always really excited when I can speak about this because it's my pet subject. And um, I want to talk to us about building a culture of life. And it was in November 2002, so it's a good 16 years ago. It was a day like it always is, a normal day. When out of the blue, one, uh, at that moment I was still, uh, in that season I was on staff in Church of Our Saviour, and I remember that out of the blue I heard a voice in my head, and it said, start a home for unwed moms." So when you hear something like that, you, you kind of go like, huh? What was that? Where did that come from? And what am I supposed to do about it? Bear in mind that it was not something that was on my radar. I mean, if if you hear me say that now, you can kind of connect the dots. Yeah, you know, she's been doing this for all this while. But at that time, I was not considering these things. I was happy working in a church. I had just come out of a difficult season in my life and I was just feeling finally that I was settled and normalized in my life. I was working in a church and it was like, you know, you can't get any holier than working in a church. So, so I didn't want my boat to be rocked and I heard this voice that said start a home for unwed moms and it was it was it just haunted me for days. I tried to dispel the thought, but it wouldn't go away. So, in about one and a half weeks later, I got an email. And I remember the email was from someone from my church whom I've only met once. I don't remember giving him my email address. I don't remember telling him anything about me. He was just in a, a visitor at church. And we shook hands. He told me he's from Indonesia. His name is Adi. Don't have last name. Only one word, right? One name, right? Adi. And he, we, we kind of chit-chatted. And I received an email from him about one and a half weeks later after I heard that voice in my head. And the title of the email was Stop Abortion, A Prayer from Heaven. And in the email was a poem written from the perspective of a little girl who was aborted. And she was writing this poem to her mommy on earth, asking her mom to take care and to watch out for the abortion monster. And when I read that email, I felt as if I received an email from heaven. And when you read something like that, you pay attention. So in my heart, I was like, what's this? And how on earth did Adi get my email? And, you know, it didn't even register that I should record his email down. Because so to this day, even though I have that email, it does not have his email address behind. I have, yeah, you know, sometimes, right, you you, you see the email, but I, I just can't trace it. To this day, sixteen years. One, I mean, I my prayers that God let me meet this man because I have no idea where he's from, where he came from, why he sent me the email, how he got my address, and why he sent me something like that. But anyway, that started the crazy journey of my life for the past fifteen to sixteen years. The thought of starting a home for unwed moms was is, still is, the craziest thing I've ever heard. And this is why, because at that season of my life, I had just come up from a difficult time. Uh, When I was 17 years old, many of you have heard my story. When I was 17 years old, I I found myself pregnant. I was single. I was a student. At that time, my parents were separated. My dad was in prison. My mom was bankrupt. And, you know, I was the eldest of three girls, three of us school-going, and we were just in a mess, my family was a mess. And I had a terrible relationship with my mom, I did not want to have anything to do with my family, and I was just serial dating and, you know, getting into relationships of all sorts that were very unhealthy for me, until I found myself pregnant at 17, and I was so desperate, it felt like a death sentence, that um, I went for a late term abortion because I just didn't know what else I could do. I didn't dare to tell anyone, I was attending church at that time and no one in church knew. And I went for a late-term abortion thinking that that would solve the problems, right? Move on, solve the problem. No one ever have to know it is a secret I will carry to my grave. But instead of getting better, my life became worse because the immense guilt. No one had to tell me that what I did was wrong. Just inherently, you just know that 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 was not something that was good for myself. And so one of the things that I thought about was if I can get rid of this problem, then my life would be okay. And so I strive very hard to ensure that my life would remain normal. And so I remember three days after the abortion, I went back to school and pretended like nothing ever happened. But deep down inside me, I was so broken that instead of getting better, I actually got worse. In a sense, I, I was so guilty and I felt like I did not deserve anything better. And so I began to get involved in even worse relationships. I was dating a man at that time. He was physically abusive. could not get out of the relationship. I just didn't know how to. He was he was beating me at least once a week. and And my friends were all telling me Please, can you get out? Can you leave him? And I'm like, I, I just couldn't. I, I felt like maybe that was what I deserved. Um, deep down inside, I didn't think I deserved any better. And it was one and a half years later, then I finally left him. But by then, I had gotten pregnant again. I was 19 years old, I was a student in Polytechnic. I said, There's no way I can keep this baby. There's no way I can marry a man who beats me up every week. So I went for another abortion. And after I graduated from polytechnic, I thought, okay, since I've got these two things in my life that I've done that I regret and I'm not proud of, then I should work even harder to justify my own existence. And so after I graduated from poly, my first job was pretty good. Some of you have heard this before. I was a radio DJ. And uh, this was 23 years ago when Class 95 first started. (laughs) Some of you are not even born. Class 95 just started. I was one of the first few DJs on Class 95. So everyone was like, wow, you're going to be a star. You're going to be so successful. People are going to, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, this is the solution. Just be really successful, be really famous, be really rich, and then my life will be okay. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. It didn't hold water. Because there was this emptiness in my heart that just could not be settled. And so within about two and a half to three years of that job, I got bored. I didn't like radio work. I didn't like looking at traffic, reading news, reading weather, (laughs) playing music I didn't like, so horrible. And then receiving calls from strangers telling me their life story, I'm not interested. Don't tell me your love stories, you know. So I tried really hard to change and I couldn't. The job wasn't the solution. The relationships were not the solution. So then I had a chance to go overseas to study and that began to um, change the trajectory a little bit. When I came home after my studies, I told myself, okay, I have a chance at this. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to try to be a good girl. I'm going to try not to get into any more trouble and hope that I can get back on track. I tried that for about five years and it was okay on the outside. I looked fine. But deep down inside, the issues were never resolved. And I always had these things in my head. Number one, I believed at that time that God will never forgive me for what I had done. I really, really believed that. In, when you're in your early 20s and you have that kind of belief system, it, it basically kills you. I mean, how do you live believing that God will never forgive you? It's, it's a hopeless life, right? The second thing that I believed was that I, I never deserve anything better than what I have right now. And so I don't strive, I, I just chill and cruise. And when I started going to church, what I would do was, you know, in the times of prayer, I would be in worship teams and cell groups and all that, you know. And I'll be serving and then, I, but inside my heart, right, I would always say, God, I know I don't deserve to come close to you, so if, I would, could you, if, if you could just let me stay on the outer courts, I'll be really happy. So I never dared to go close to God because I was so afraid He would reject me because I believed that He would never forgive me. And so that was that cycle, and and it went on for several years until I decided to join Discipleship Training School, DTS in YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And it was during one of those sessions that I encountered a very, very radical, um, deep, life-changing Love of God. I mean, I will never forget that day. To, to this day, I remember the words I heard from God. The Father loves you, the Father forgives you, the Father is proud of you. The three things that have carried me in my life till this day. And that forever changed my life. I I experienced a hundred and eighty-degree turn in my life and began a long journey of healing and forgiveness. And it was shortly after that encounter with DTS in DTS that I heard that start a home for unwed moms. So that was the, the context of it. And since then, I have dedicated myself for this cause, which is to make Jesus known, and in particular, to defend and celebrate the life that God has given to me and to all of us. And even to those of us who do not know it, we have to tell them, I realized that, you know, a lot of times we receive healing from God, and it's great for ourselves, right? We receive emotional healing, physical healing, mental, spiritual healing, that's great. But I realized that it wasn't just about me. When I received that breakthrough from God, and my life just kind of did a 180 degree turn, I realized that, God, you couldn't possibly have just done this for me. Because that's, my, my journey with God I, gave me a glimpse of how much He loves people like me. So it was not just me, but people like me. And there were so many others, I realized, that were struggling with similar things as I was. And I asked myself this question, what help do they get? I have God. You know, I have these voices in my head that talks to me, right? God talks to me directly. Wow, I'm very, very blessed to be able to have that. But what if the what about the people who don't have that? What about the people who don't hear the Holy Spirit and who don't have, who don't have a chance to even know who Jesus is? And I began to, to think about that. And so today I want to share with you about the culture of life. And, and in particular, I will talk about the issue of abortion because that is a great injustice in our time. It is one of the greatest injustices that we live, that, that is in our time, and it is not a new thing. But the big question always begs to be asked, and that, that is, what has abortion got to do with me? Right? People always say, yeah, Jen, because you've gone through that, so of course you're passionate about that. Now, for, like some people will say, no, but for me, it's got nothing to do with me. And so this morning, I hope that there's something that will resonate in your heart, yeah. that you will realise, oh, actually, it has got something to do with me. So a few, uh, about a few months ago, I was having coffee with three friends, okay? And uh, I want to call them Tom, D- Tom, Dick, and Harry, but no, they were not Tom, Dick, and Harry. But they were three three brothers, okay, three guys. And interesting, they were in their 20s, 30s, and the other guy was in his 50s, really, quite much, uh, a bit older than me, not much older, a bit older. And uh, we got talking about the issue of abortion. And, you know, we were just having kopi, and then we were just really... So we were talking about the issue of abortion. I was... Asking them out of curiosity, why are you concerned about this? because it 's not common to sit around with a, a group of three guys and talk about the issue of abortion okay that 's not like normal for most people and so um, one, of, one of them began to share that, that he recently found out that his mother wanted to abort him when, he, when she was carrying him because because his family was in financial difficulties. And in the end, they decided to keep him, but he never knew about it until recently. And this guy was in his 30s or almost 40 years old. And he said that it was very painful when he learned that his mom wanted to abort him. Um, and it, he had to kind of go through some inner healing, some you know, issues in his heart and all that. But he's since forgiven his parents, but because of this experience he became concerned. He said, you know, if my mom had decided to abort me, I wouldn't even be sitting here. I said, exactly. It is, it is that critical, you know. It is life and death, you know. If your mom decided 40 years ago to abort you, you wouldn't be sitting here. Can you imagine? So it was, it's that sudden realization of, oh my goodness, my life could have just been totally taken from me, just like that. And then my other friend then told me that uh, this is a guy who's been around for, um, who's, who's about in his 50s, and he said that he's actually been a cell group leader since he was um, late teens. So he's been a cell group leader almost 30 years. And he said in his years of being a cell leader, he has met many, many of his cell members who have had abortions. Young people, married couples, and they have had abortion. They come to church, and they wrestle and struggle with the pain and the guilt of the aftermath. And he says, I have heard all the stories. I have heard them firsthand. And he said, I, I don't know why we still choose it. I don't know why people still do it. So we turned to the youngest guy who was in his 20s. We all know he just had a baby six months ago. And we said, so, so what about you? What has abortion got to do with you? And he said, well, you know, my, my wife just gave birth six months ago. And my wife ha- had a really difficult pregnancy. And she struggled. It was their first child, and they struggled through it. And there were times where the doctors would say, "You know, if you want to, uh, you want to terminate your pregnancy, you still can." And uh, you know, if you can't take the sickness, you know, if you're worried about all the implications, yeah, you can still terminate your pregnancy before, you know, legally it's before 24 weeks. But we I encourage you to do it before the four months mark, lah. You know, like it was nothing, you know. And so he said. I I realised that when I hold my child, my my little cute little daughter, I hold her in my arms and I have this realisation that, wow, how come we had the power to take away her life? Like, What gave me the right, even though we were her parents? And so we sat there with that weight upon us that day. And we said, I said, check it out, you know, I'm the one that has abortion. So it's very clear, right? That had an abortion before. But here's one man who was almost aborted. Here's another man who was a cell leader and has, had friends and cell members who had abortions. And here was another man whose wife was given the option of abortion just a few months ago. And abortion touches all of us in different ways young and old, man, woman, rich and poor. If you think about it, it really is an issue that affects many more people than we would want to believe. I sat there amazed. That just in our little group, we heard three very different reasons why they are concerned. And I want to suggest to you that one of the imp- more important reasons we need to be concerned is because, on a larger spiritual and political um, perspective, abortion is not just an issue that needs to be debated, it is an issue that needs to be prayed through and broken. It is not just one of the issues that we see in modern society. It is a very spiritual and very demonic um, principality that is in the foundation of Singapore because abortion was liberalized in the 70s and the main agenda and main objective of liberalizing abortion and introducing voluntary sterilization was for the purpose of economic development. Alright, so a little bit of history of Singapore in the 70s, that was the main agenda. And so these laws and policies were being introduced. And, and there was incredible, I think it was almost 90% of abortions done in the 70s were by married women. Almost 90%. The number has, still, has since dropped, but still, to this day, this day, the majority of abortions are still done by married women. Why? Why is it that our children are not safe in marriages? I mean, if a mom and a father being married legally in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the law, is meant to be the safest unit for children to be raised, but our children are not safe within marriage. They are at a risk of being aborted. So, so it, is, it is a spiritual principality that's in the foundation of Singapore. And it's not something that will change just because we change the law, we do a lot of campaigning. No, 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 we need to go right deep down into the root of it. We have to pray and dislodge the principality in the foundations of our nation. And that has a lot of bearing in how and whether Singapore will walk into the destiny that God has called her for. You know, there are things that God... Has already prepared for Singapore and in his sovereignty, in his mighty power, in his whatever, who who he is, he can do anything he wants. But there are things that he's called us to partner and say, hey, I need you to address this thing about your nation. And one of these things is the spirit of death, the spirit of abortion that's in our foundation. And Christians, especially the people of God, are ignorant at best. Ignorant at best. Some of some, you know, I, I don't know, whenever I talk about this subject, I know that it's, it can be controversial, you can have your opinions about it, but I want to present to you the case from God's perspective. You see, abortion is one of the symptoms and the consequences of a lack of a culture of life. Because there is no celebration of a culture of life, therefore we have things like falling birth rates, abortion, pornography, discrimination, you know, um, human trafficking, breaking down of marriages. You, you think about it, you trace back, a lot of it just has to do with the lack of honour and respect for life created in the image of God. Right? It's so foundational. Imago Deo, being made in the image of God. If we have not learned to honor life made in the image of God, that's where we have all the slew of problems that we see in our society today. And abortion is one of them. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, it's written, and verses 19 to 20, it's written, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give them. So let me give us some context here. These these are the words um, of Moses. He's receiving the word of the Lord and he's telling it to the Israelites. And they are at a season of transition, leadership transition, major political leadership transition. And God's, one of God's major instructions to the Israelites is this, I have set before you life and death. What will you choose? And it almost feels like that is the word of the Lord to us as Singapore. We are in major transitions. Government—we can we sense it. We know it's coming. And we have all this talk about you know moving into uh, post Billy Graham forty years and cyclical review, and you know, and all this. and go anti of Asia. All of these things are being 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 talked about more and more in this season. There is a transition that's coming, and I almost feel like the Lord is saying to us, "What are we going to choose?" Are you going to choose life or death? I have set both before you. And I love it. I love it that God is so, so cool. You know? He says, I have set before you life and death. Right? Then He says, choose life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, like, it's not a trick question. <laughs> but we don't get it, right? Sometimes we don't. So, so the, the, the responsibility that we have to choose life it's really important, if you look at this scripture, it is not just life for themselves and their generation. The choice between life and death is for their future generations, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you talk about that you may live you and your descendants. My friends, we are choosing for the generations. It will be four generations that you and I will not live to see. But I tell you, 40 years, 100 years later, there will be people sitting around and they're like, wow, I almost got aborted, but I didn't. You know, that, that is the gravity of it. It is life and death. And there is a call for us to be responsible for our choices. What would we choose today? I want to share with us five Cs, what this choice means to us. Five Cs, huh? The first one, consecration. Very, very important. To be consecrated means to be set apart for God's use, to be holy. What is the, one of the key things about consecration? It is repentance. What's the key thing about repentance? It is agreeing with God what we have done wrong and that is against His word and His will and coming back to alignment with Him. So this is the key thing if we don't agree and we don't say and we don't believe that abortion is wrong then we will not think it is a sin then we will not need to repent and then we will not be consecrated and holy very logical right so first step is agree what agree with what is sin agree with what god says is sin and abortion is sin some people say are you sure Why do you say abortion is sin? Okay, in the past few years, I've been speaking a lot more in different churches. When I first started speaking about this in churches, I always went into a church with the assumption that because I'm in a church, everyone is on the same page. Everyone will agree abortion is wrong, so I don't have to establish that. But to my horror, and I'll tell you really honestly, to my horror, I discovered later on that I was wrong. That not everyone agrees with what the Bible says about life and abortion. And I, I, I realized that I had to come back to the drawing board and I said, God, I no longer can assume the sovereignty, sovereignty and the authority of the Word of God when I speak in churches. So I believe that this congregation is not like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. If you have theological issues, please look for your pastors. And if y'all don't know how to answer, you can come to me. I can give you notes. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume, okay, that all of us agree that abortion is an abomination sight of God. It is taken of innocent blood. <clears throat> it is not something God is pleased with. Whatever the reasons behind why people choose abortion is a separate thing. So we're not talking about circumstances. We're talking about truth. Okay, truth is truth despite circumstances so, the <clears throat> so consecration is important because we need to say yes God this is sin and then from then on we repent we repent from it, we pray and ask God to cleanse us, to forgive us for his mercy and then we will see healing in our land it's not rocket science what is abortion? abortion it is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. I want to differentiate it very clearly from miscarriage. Okay, miscarriage is spontaneous; it is not deliberate. It is different from abortion. I'm talking about abortion being intentionally terminating a pregnancy. All right, so I just want to make that clear. Give you some uh, context uh, of what abortion is like in Singapore. Some numbers, facts and figures. In 2017. 6,815 abortions It is the lowest ever in 30, 40 years Actually, in the past 5 years Abortions have been dropping every single year in Singapore It has Um, Teenage abortions have halved in the past 5 years General abortions have halved in the past 10 years It is amazing So, I, I believe that even without a lot of concerted effort God's doing something People ask me, why do you think the abortion numbers are dropping? If I'm speaking to a general crowd and I need to be politically correct, I'll tell them, I don't know. (laughs) But when I'm speaking to churches, I'm speaking to the people of God, I tell you, this is nothing short of the work of God. Only God can do this. Of course, there are many social reasons, but to me, at the end of the day, it must be the sovereign work of God. And the people of God need to pray and press in for this. In Singapore, however, still, because of our falling birth rates, we're still talking about one in five pregnancies being aborted every year. One in five. Imagine if this whole room, we're all little fetuses, right? If we're all little fetuses, for every four of us, the fifth person will be aborted this year. So this room could technically be 20% smaller if we were a room of fetuses. Abortions, are done, uh, abortions by women under 20 years old make up less than 10% of the abortion numbers. So abortion is not just a teenage issue. It's not just a young person, naughty, tattooed girl kind of issue, that kind of stereotype that we normally have. More than 50% of abortions are done by married women. It is still true today. Why? The most common reasons for abortions presented um, in the official statistics, our uh, marital status. It's true that more single moms, unwed moms, choose abortion. People ask me, what about abortion because of medical reasons or, or, or rape? Well, that exists, but it is a small number, less than 5%. Less than 5%. In fact, there are more and more testimonies and stories coming forth from women who are, abor- are, who are pregnant through rape, and many of them tell me, if, if I can keep my baby, I would like to. Because it's very interesting, the psyche of it is this. After a woman who's raped, she's gone through that that immense trauma, right? And then you tell her to abort, because why? The third parties, the objective ones, that's us, we've not been in the situation, say, the baby will remind you of the trauma you've gone through, correct? That's a very common Argument and rationale, if you speak to the woman, many, of th- many times they will tell you this, the child is the only good thing that has happened to me out of this entire trauma. If you think about it, the child is the most innocent and pure out of everything that has happened to me, please let me keep the baby. But her family and society will say, no, it is a shame. What are you going to tell your child? Your child is a victim of rape. And and then there is great pressure for the woman. And most of the time, they go for an abortion under that pressure. But if you think about it from the woman's point of view, it's true, right? It is the most pure thing in the entire situation. Why are we pressurizing her to do otherwise if she doesn't want to? Parental consent is still not required in Singapore for abortion at any age. So you can be 15 years old and have an abortion without your parents consenting to it. Um. <clears throat> it's legal up to 24 weeks six, weeks, six months pregnant. Pregnancy is still legal. And uh, abortion was legalized in 1970, even before most of America. And we are one of the seven countries in the world with the most liberal abortion laws. So what does the Bible say about abortion? Nothing. The word abortion is not used in the Bible, which maybe makes it a little bit more tricky. But the concept of abortion is alive and well in the Bible. And if you think about it, why do people abort? Most of the time it's because of fear, right? fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of losing reputation, fear that my life will not be what I thought it would be. And that is the same principle as child sacrifice. So in, in the days of old, the tribes, the idol, the, the idol worshippers, practiced child sacrifice. It was not uncommon. And they would sacrifice their children to, to gods and to idols. For what? For protection, for appeasing the gods, so that their life would be well, and 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 so that they will be prosperous, so that the crops will will, will prosper, and so that their life will be well, and they know that these demons demand child sacrifice, and so the the intent is the same, and it is the shedding of innocent blood for the benefit of those who want peace or or prosperity, or comfort. It is the same principle. And it's very hard to justify why abortion is right or wrong because there are many arguments around it. But I just want to use one simple exercise to uh, help us to connect with this, okay? So one of the arguments that are common is that it is not a baby, it is just a clump of cells. So the big questions that's that is that's still debatable to, in some camps is when does life begin? Alright, I hope that we all know when life begins. Later on, I'll show you just one piece of evidence. But to help us to do that, can you just turn to the person next to you and tell the person your birthday? Yeah, tell them your birthday. Husband or wife better check. Yeah. yeah. Tell someone your birthday. Yes, okay. So get to know the birthday of the person sitting next to you. Alright, so, okay, got to know someone's birthday next to you. Okay, so the next thing that I need you to do is now tell the person the date of your conception. The date of your conception. (laughs) Okay. That was hard, right? We don't talk about that very often. Let me ask you a question. Do you, did you only become you when you were born? Because we celebrate birthdays. No one celebrates Conception Day, right? <laughs> Happy Conception Day, do you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? We don't celebrate Conception Day, we celebrate birthdays. But did you only become you? When you were born? Who, how do you know? Who told you that? How do you know? When did you become you? When? We never thought about it, right? All we know is that at some point of time, we were there, somewhere there, in our mother's womb. And on our birthday, everyone celebrated our life. But we, don't, we didn't only come alive when we were born. Somewhere before that, we were already alive. So the question is when, correct? Yeah. Okay, put your hand on your heart and try the heart here. Huh? <laughs> Somewhere here. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, try and feel it beating if you can. I know some of you are a bit harder. <sighs> okay, if you can. <laughs> Every time I do this exercise, I'll be like, Tom, where's my heart? Huh? Okay, feel your heart beat, okay? This heart that is beating inside you, this heart that is beating inside you, it's the same heart that was beating when you were born. It's the same heart that is beating when you were six months in your mother's womb. It's the same heart that was beating when you were two months in your mother's womb. It is the same heart that was beating at two weeks, which is the earliest when a heartbeat can be detected it is the same heart that is beating. So you tell me, when did you become you? Is it really just a clump of cells? And if we deliberately terminate the life of an unborn child, is that okay? In Psalm 139, we know this famous psalm, beautiful psalm, for you created my inmost being, says the psalmist, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. God ordained all of our days when we were unformed. What is the most unformed version of us? Does I God? You know what is it? But you see, a lot of times, if we want to argue along those lines, we are arguing based on assumption. I I say, we cannot. We cannot take human life carelessly. We cannot base it on assumption. So we are created in the image of God even before we were formed, whatever forming means. And if scripture calls an unborn child a person made in the image of God, then surely the ending, the intentional ending of a life by abortion is murder. I hate using this word. I hate it. I, because I feel the gravity of it because I did it. I don't like to use that for myself, but when it comes to consecration, if I have to face God, I will say, God, I, I did I I did murder my children. I did. And that is why all the more his mercy is so incredible and so important. And that is the only reason I can still stand here, not living in condemnation somewhere. So to choose life, to build a culture culture of life is to repent. Even if it's not for individual sin, it is for corporate sin as well. Corporate even if you feel like I've, got this, I've never done this before, I don't know anyone who's done it, I've got nothing to do with this, but still, you, oh, you and I have a role for corporate repentance for our nation, for our society, even for our congregation here. The second two Cs I want to talk about is compassion and community. So, so the first thing is to realize the gravity of that sin. Okay? Okay? And to know that God calls us to be consecrated and there is forgiveness to be found in Him when we come to Him. But it doesn't stop there. The healing that we receive is not just for ourselves, it's for others as well. The compassion and the community is important. In James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Two important things. One is works, to look after the orphans and the widows. The second thing is personal consecration. Do not be polluted by the world. So, I mean, your, your passion statement, you call it, passion statement, right? right? To be like Jesus and to do the works of Jesus as well. That's, that's, that's what it is, essentially. So the issue of abortion goes beyond a philosophical debate. And James 1.27 is a clear call for all of us to not just debate this on a philosophical, political angle, which sometimes we tend to do that, debate, right? Debate, talk, 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 social media, talk, 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 talk. But nothing happens. No one gets changed. We just get more angry and incensed by by the debates online. But what is the real change that will make a difference? It is the change when it comes when we come and we reach out with compassion and reach out into community. And in in my years of working with men and women who have considered abortion, I have discovered that abortion is never empowering and never an easy solution. I have not met one woman. I mean, I, I can't say for the whole world, but I can say that in my 15, 16 years, of meeting women who have battled with the, the choice of abortion, none of them have ever told me that they feel so empowered because now they are going to have an abortion. In fact, the most common reasons I hear is, I'm doing this because I have no choice. I have no choice. Is that empowering when you have no choice? one of the essential things God gave to us was the cho- was the power of choice right so abortion is not empowering for men and women in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8 we see a beautiful picture of justice and mercy right beautiful and Jesus showed exceptional mercy upon the woman by defending her from being stoned but he never he didn't gloss over her sin he never said that, oh, it's okay for what you did. He never said that. He told her at the end, go and sin no more. He addressed the issue of sin. He knew it. He called it sin as it is. He did not say why the woman is justified to have, to have had the adulterous relationship. He didn't go there. He didn't say, oh, you know, because she, um, because uh, uh, yeah, her relationship with her father no good. She has father issues, lah. You know, then that's why uh, she she goes to this man. Uh, you can't blame her. No, he never justified that. He called sin as it is, but he forgave. He showed mercy. There was justice found in Jesus, and then that was established. I mean, isn't it beautiful? In when I speak to people, it was just recently as well. Okay, I, I need to. I need to say this just to make sure that we're all on the same page. I am not encouraging pregnancy out of wedlock, okay? I'm not making light of the institution of marriage. That is uncompromisable for me. That is still what I believe God has designed family to be. But what I'm saying is that we do know that not everyone goes that route, right? So what happens if they don't? A few nights ago, I was speaking at a church meeting. And after my sharing about the work that I do, a, a woman came up and she, was, she looked visibly upset with me, I think. And she said, you do this, uh, are you encouraging single parents? Are you encouraging all these women not to get married and then have children? So she went on and on and on. And she said, I read in the newspaper recently, you know, there was this lady, uh, she set up this home, you know. I mean, why? Ah? Okay, she set up the home by herself, okay. Lah, but why must tell the whole world? She, does it doesn't mean that, that she's asking all the women to be single parents. Then I look at her and said, think, I think that was me. <laughs> then she got shocked. Then <laughs> she, no, no, no. No, you, no. I said, no, no, really. I mean, I was, to be really honest, I was not offended at all. Okay? I just found it a bit amusing. <laughs> la. I said to her, I said, I think that was me. Then she? No, 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 it's not you. She went on and on. So anyway, then I told her, I said, I, I just want to say that um, whatever I've shared, right, based on Safe Play, I said, I'm not encouraging that. But I want to ask you a question. If a woman is single and she is pregnant and she walks into your church, what are you going to do? She couldn't answer. She really couldn't. She said, no, but I'm not talking about that. I'm like, no, you are talking about that. I said, would you, would you think that it might be better for her to abort? I mean, right? Because you don't want to encourage, right? So, so just get rid la, of the problem. La. I mean, really, this is very real, you know? So I also throw that to you as a church. What would you do? What would we do? if we accept them, are we saying that we are encouraging it? If we don't, what are we saying? How do we manage this? It's real. And I I look at John 8, I said that was the perfect model of how Jesus calls us to respond. We, We receive them. I mean, whoever who has not seen you throw the first stone. Then how? We are all The same, but we're all needing the mercy of Jesus. So the compassion and the community are important. What if we all came around the woman? What if we all came around that family? What if they came and they said, "My goodness, the doctor just gave us this terrible prognosis for our unborn child." Recently, I mean, it's common. Um, There was a young couple, and they said four doctors told us. Our child is not viable with life. Ayu, I hate that word. What do not viable with life? <laughs> like, what, what are you actually saying? Is the baby alive? Yes. So, life is life. Lah. I mean, what do you mean, not viable? If the baby not viable with life, then, we'll, then the baby will be dead, right? Correct. That, to me, it's only life and death, very, very black and white. There's no such thing. So, anyway, four doctors told them, you should consider termination now. Terminate first. Your baby come out. No, no, no. no. The poor couple was so traumatized. But I want to say I was so encouraged by them as well. They really stuck by what the Lord has spoken to them in their hearts. They said, no matter what happens to our baby, we will not terminate this pregnancy by choice. They said, even if my baby lives one second after he or she is born, that is up to God. And yes, the baby did not live past the first hour. It is the most painful thing ever. But I tell you, this couple will know that they had defended life and they will not live with the guilt that they had terminated and aborted their own child. And I mean, in the stories of heaven, this will be recorded. You know, it's so beautiful. So the compassion and the community in. In the church, it's not just about the single unwed moms. It is parents who have been given a difficult prognosis, who have been given options, who are really, really in dire situations, and sometimes they come because of sin. I mean, marital, extramarital affairs. It could be anything. But how do we defend that in the midst of acknowledging that yes, there may be sin, but that's—is that what's more important now? So the the natural knee jerk reaction is get rid of the problem, right? And often we see the problem as the baby. But if you think about it, the baby is not the problem. And so our solutions will have to be different. Our solutions are often found in community. And I know that there there are some among you here who have done that. And that's why I love that I can speak here today because I know I'm speaking with with like-minded people. So the last two Cs, I'm going to talk about our commitment and courage. You see, there is no way, no easy way to do this. Building a culture of life will take tenacious commitment and courage from all of us. It is not Jennifer Hing's thing. It is not Joy Chua's thing. It is not, you know, it is not one person's thing. We may be the champions and spokespeople, but we ourselves, no one can do the work on our own. It is a community thing and it takes commitment and courage. It means choosing life again and again despite what the circumstances are. You see, one of the the observations I've made, especially in modern culture, is this. Truth no longer becomes the absolute plumb line. Right? Truth these days can be whatever you choose to believe. Whenever, depends on who is the latest person you speak to or latest article you read or the latest influencer that appears on your Instagram feed. So truth becomes not absolute, and therefore, it it sways like this. I tell you, this is not the way to live. So miserable, how do you live like that? Swaying like this. So a lot of times we find that because truth is no longer absolute, then circumstances become the yardstick for our decision making. Let's look at the circumstance. Okay, is it justifiable? Okay, she's pregnant. What are her circumstances? Hmm, yeah, I just want no choice. I think abortion is still the best. However, if we look at it from another point of view, if we say that truth is absolute, right? So what is truth? Truth in that situation could be life is not in our own hands. We have no right to to, to take it, okay? So that's one. Can God be trusted? Is that truth for us? Can God provide for us? So we need to kind of do those things. Say, what is truth to us? And then all the circumstances will just have to work around the truth. Is God the provider? Yes. Do we have money? No. Find money. Is God the father of the fatherless? Yes. Uh, Are there father figures around her? No. Find the father figures for her. Correct? So that I think to me, that must be the way to live. And that is the way that Community must be. We, we cannot sway and swing as when when we like. Because we're really talking about life. And so we need commitment and courage to do this. So I want to share with you some practical things as, as I draw this to a close. This is a huge topic. I can talk hours about this, some of you know. But one of the things that I've learned is that I, I really believe that our children are the secret weapons they are the key to building a culture of life. So one of the practical things I want to encourage us to do is to teach our children the value of life from as young as possible. So my daughter, she's seven now. When she was three years old, she was already around with me doing this work, and she's seen the single moms. she asked me these difficult questions. I don't know how to answer I mean, how do you explain this to a three-year-old, right? So I try my best. And there was one time I found this video, you know, and it was like... Um, uh, an animated video about conception, so the, the sperm and the egg, and very amazing one, ding 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 ding. They got music lah, the thing moving. It was very very factual as well. So and then it will show the development of the child, and it will end up with the child coming out of the birth canal. So I I experimented. I let her see the video, and I was like, I don't know whether she will be bored after the first minute, or whether she will cry because she's horrified by what she's seeing. Or I don't know. So I let her watch it, and to my amazement, she absolutely loved that video. And I must have played it like 200 times over the next two weeks, because, you know, children, right? Again, mama, again, 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 repeat mode. But one one of the things that I discovered was I was wondering, did she understand what she just saw? Because there's no words, nothing. It's just music and all the, the things that were happening. And I was thinking, how... She understand what that was So I told her, you know, this is how babies are born And she looked like she knew <laughs> And then suddenly I had a revelation I'm thinking, between me and her, right She would probably remember it better than I did yeah. It was just three years ago that she was in that situation For me, it was like 30 over years ago already So if anything, she would be like Hey, I was just there not too long ago <laughs> It was all dark, but thanks, Mama, for turning on the lights So that I can see what was going on inside. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking perhaps children can really relate it much better than us adults can because they're closer to that end of the life cycle, right? But okay, jokes aside, I'm serious, okay. Psalm 8, it talks about how God ordains praise in the mouths of babes, right? And what one of the things that we don't we sometimes miss out is this. That, that praise that God ordains in children and in babes silences the foe and the enemy. Do you know why the enemy hates children? Because he knows that when they are allowed to praise, he, he is voiceless. It should not be the church that is voiceless. It should not be our unborn children who is voiceless. It should be the enemy that is voiceless. And what is the secret weapon God's given to us? He's given it to us in our children. He ordained the praise in our children to silence the foe and the enemy. So we have to teach our children to praise and to worship for the silencing of the foe and the enemy. We need to tell them the value of life and children will defend children. I have a dream of starting up a movement called Kids for Life. Can you imagine if all the children came up and, and they'd say from their own innocent way why we need to defend life. I tell you, it will be the most powerful life movement the world has ever seen. Now it's going younger. Right now we see a lot more campus people, younger people doing that. I really believe that the children has the secret to it. So teach our children to promote the value of life. The second thing is to support and commit to tangible expressions of building a culture of life. What does it look like? Some of the things that that it could be, you know, opening up your home to a woman who is pregnant and who needs help. And sometimes it doesn't need to be so destitute, you know. Sometimes it just really needs to be opening up your home, opening up your hearts. Instead of just fostering the child, can we also foster the mom? Because the fostering of children, while that is important, those children are already separated from their families. But what if the mom wants to raise her child, but she just needs some help? Can we foster the mom and the child so that we keep the family together? Can we do that? It's hard. It's hard. In my line of work, many people say, oh, I will take the child instantly. Uh, The mom can stay somewhere else or not. And I'm like, but you see, the whole point is, the mom wants to be with the child. She just needs some support. So another thing is, um, I mean, we can definitely foster a child. We can give towards ministries and organizations that work in these areas. And I want to say these two, um, if we can also encourage the champions and the laborers. I mean, yeah, I could always do with a little bit more encouragement. But so so do all the other um, of my brothers and sisters and allies who are in this together. I mean, it's really hard. It can get really intense. Um, we, we get bombs thrown at us from all sides, both internally and externally. So that can be hard. So, yeah, I encourage them. And speak up for the truth when everyone else is silent. I want to share... Um, about the work that I do right now. It's called Safe Place. And it was set up to empower pregnant women who are unsupported. We want them to say, I want to take ownership and responsibility of my situation. I can do it with skills and knowledge. And I hope for a better future. And how do we do that? I mean, it's a series of just walking with them through life. And at the end of the day, one of the things we want to see is that they will develop a positive view of parenthood and family, and that the children will know that they are loved and wanted. So that's really my my bigger vision. And um, I've been asked to share a little bit about practically what you might be able to do. And so our main workforce is actually volunteers. Our staff team is very small, but we need the volunteers. One of the, the, the power of volunteers is this. Next year, you will have the chief volunteer of Singapore to speak to you. (laughs) So I just set the ground a little bit. Um, One of the power of volunteers that we found is that volunteers are able to walk with the families much longer than the professionals can. And the need often is not just the immediate professional intervention, but it is the lifelong community and relationships that people need. And that is done in community. It is not done in professional services. The professional service can come and facilitate, you know, give it a jolt, facilitate the thing, pull people together. But ultimately, it is the community that has to be responsible, you and I. So if you want to know more about Safe Place, please come and talk to me or talk to Rachel, my team member, um, outside uh, later on after the service. And I just want to end off with John chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I, I, I feel strongly that this work, building a culture of life, supporting women and families with unsupported pregnancies, dealing with the issue of abortion and all the other related stuff, we are not going to be comfortable doing it. We are not going to be able to do it if we are constantly worried about what we will lose we will only be able to do this if we say we will lose everything including our own lives we will lay down our lives for someone else for our friends who who we may not know very well who maybe are just a neighbor but the power and the transformation will come when we say i am willing to lay down my life even if it is for a stranger that power that power is the power of jesus and it will transform lives. I will never forget when we started Dayspring New Life Center four years, five years ago, and that since wound up. But our first baby, he he came. He was born about two weeks after we took in the mom. The mom was an orphan and she was really desperate, so we took them in. She gave birth two weeks later, and we have we witnessed the first birth um, in the in the center. And today, he is four. And every time we see him running around, we'll be like, wow, he almost didn't make it, you know. Really, he almost didn't make it. And it's a constant reminder that what we do here, not just my work, but generally as a community, because it was a community that enabled mom and child to prosper. What we do here is life and death. Every time I get a call, Jen, can you talk to this woman? She wants to abort her child the the gravity and the weight of my conversation with her is this is life and death this is no laughing matter it's life and death because tomorrow she could just go and end the life of her child and that's it it's final i cannot turn it back this is what we're talking about life and death issues so what will we choose life and death what will we choose And at what expense, our own comfort, our own convenience? Or are we able to say, I will lay my life down so that someone else can live? To me, that is the pinnacle of the life of Jesus, to lay his life down so that someone else may live. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. (coughs)